navigate the journey to becoming a great lawyer with expert guidance on topics that range from trial skills to corner office management. Here you will learn how to tap into your potential for legal greatness. I'm Andrew Smiley, and this is The Mentor, ESQ. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me for part two of this trial skills series on opening statements. I'm really excited. I love opening statements. I love talking about opening statements, and I'm looking forward to getting into it with you all. A few things before we get to it. First, I just want to talk a little bit about the Academy. Uh, one of the great things that we're doing is giving free CLE, and there's been a decision to hopefully maintain that as far into the future as we can see at the moment. Uh, but we would ask that if you have been uh, attending a lot of CLEs and getting benefits and you're not a member, to seriously consider joining. Individual memberships are $250. You get a $50 discount already because you're in this CLE. So it'll be 200 bucks and you're certainly gonna get your money's worth. And uh, by being a member, it helps our organization to do all the good work we're doing to make things better in our profession, in the legal industry. And once you become a member, you can get on our committees, you can be involved, uh, and you could avail yourself of certain members only uh, events and uh, fun things to do. So think about that. We do great things here at the Academy and uh, continuing on with working together as a community, that's the best way to do it. Now. We are doing part two today. Uh, we've already done part one last month on jury selection. So hopefully you are with me for part one. If you missed it, it is on demand on the Academy's website and it is also available on the mentoresq.com website by video or audio. You can also get credit through it on the Mentor ESQ website. And it's also available uh, on the podcast for the Mentor ESQ, which you can get anywhere that you get your podcast. So check it out there. Now let's talk about opening statements. Opening statements, the reason I love it so much is it's your first shot at the jury. It's your first chance to make an impression, to make your mark before the jury, your client, uh, the uh, judge, your adversary, and really to set the tone for the trial ahead, whether it's going to be a one-day trial, a one-week or two-week or a six-week trial, first impressions count. I know you probably heard that before in everything that you're doing, and never more so than in a trial. First impressions count, and you want to get off to a good start, and you want to set the stage for a great trial for yourself and for your client. And the way you do that is by preparing and presenting. Those are the two things you want to think about in an opening statement, preparation and presentation. If you've seen any of my CLEs uh, before, you know my mantra is preparation, 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 and inform your client. And no more uh, is it imperative that you prepare than before an opening statement. And I'm excited that I can help you uh, through the CLE today to prepare and to present your opening statement. Now, after jury selection, where it's the first time all the potential jurors um, see you, get a sense of you, it's really the openings when they're really curious. They've heard a little bit in jury selection about the plaintiff's case, the defense case, uh, or the prosecutor in the criminal defense case. And, you know, they want to know, you know, what have you got? 
All right. You were saying a lot of stuff in jury selection. You know, we're not sure about this, but we're really curious. They're fresh. Okay. They are, they haven't been showing up every day dragging to the same trial they've been doing for days on days on end and listening to you and the judge and the witnesses. They haven't gotten into that routine yet. So they're, they're alert. They're probably the freshest you're going to get them uh, through most of the trial. So you want to take advantage of that as well. It's also the chance for you to really get the jury to start looking at the case the way you want them to look. I like to say, if you want them to see pink, you've got to give them a pink lens at the opening statement. You've got to give them the lens, the framework, point them the way that you want them to, to see your case. And I'm going to explain this a little bit more as we get into it today. So for opening statement, think about it for a moment from the jurist's perspective. They've heard the lawyer's posturing and jury selection. They've, uh, they've shown up. They've been sworn in. They're serious about their job as a juror. They're sitting there in the jury box. It's kind of like I equated to uh, a new movie. You go to the theater, you got your popcorn, you've read some previews, but you're ready. You're sitting down, uh, the curtain may be closed, the curtain opens up on the show, and you're sitting there with your popcorn, bring it on, ready to begin. That's what the jurors are doing. They're sitting back, all right, let's see what, let's see what we got here. Let's see what this case is going to look like. Let's see what these lawyers got. Let's see what they, they're going to do. And they're ready for you. So you got to bring it. You have to bring it. You don't want to be a dud. It's your time to shine. Okay. And again, if you do it right, everything's going to, you're going to feel good. Um, you're going to get things going and, um, and the case is going to go in a better posture for you. Now, I'm going to talk about preparation and presentation throughout uh, the hour ahead. If you have questions, please drop them in the Q&A. Uh, if I can get to them after one of Michelle's breaks, for the codes and the sponsors, I may address them. Otherwise, the last half hour after two o'clock uh, is what I like to use for the Q&A. So make sure to stay on. If you stay the extra half hour, you'll get the extra credit for it too. And that's when I'll try and go through every single Q&A. So please fire away with the Q&As that you have. If you miss it, my email is on my backdrop here. So just shoot me an email. I do get back to everybody. All right. Now, Let's talk for a little bit about public speaking. This is the presentation part. Many people and attorneys, we're no exception, get a little nervous about public speaking. Uh, getting up in front of a room of 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, or, or whatever it may be. And that fear may be rational uh, because you're worried that you're going to mess up uh, and look silly uh, or ruin the case or who knows what. Um, so you want to address public speaking if, if you're new to it, if you're not comfortable with it, because everybody can get to that point. And I've lectured a lot on public speaking. And if there's interest, let us know in the q and I'll be happy to do a CLE just on public speaking. But I want to just touch on it briefly now because it ties in with opening statements. You have to project a level of confidence. You have to interact and be present without looking down and reading notes. Uh, we're going to talk about the fact that you are not going to look at any notes in your opening statement while you are talking, while you are connecting and speaking to a jury. You do not want to drop your head down. You do not want to look away. You do not want to read an opening statement. You want to engage. And the way that you do that is to prepare, and uh, we're going to go over that. But it's also to think about what, what makes you nervous. Why are you scared, perhaps, or anxious standing up 
when the judge turns and says, counsel, please proceed. Um, what is it that makes you nervous? We all have different things. My, my, my nervousness comes from, and I get nervous like everybody else does. Um, and mine comes from either forgetting what I'm going to say and like drawing a blank and being up there in a courtroom with all this pressure and the jurors waiting and I just go blank. Okay. That's my biggest concern. Um, and my other concern is not knowing what I'm going to say uh, when I'm up there, not being organized and, and worried that I don't have an opening statement. Those are the dreams I have where I'm stuck in trial, ready to open, and I'm looking in my file and I don't know the case, and I wake up in a sweat. So the way that I prepare for that is by preparing, by having an outline in advance, by rehearsing, by practicing, uh, by talking out by speaking to family members, talking in the shower, talking to my cat, whatever it may be, but getting myself ready. And I'm not worried about drawing a blank because I've got my outline off to the side at my council table or at the podium off to the side, or maybe there's usually a ledge by the jury box. So I've got, uh, I've got a safety net while I'm up on the high wire. We all have to have that. So I'm not worried. And then if you stumble, if you draw a blank, if you're nervous, I like my water sip or water break or water bottle trick. And what that is, is when you're in the middle of an opening and you can do this in summation as well, or even in a cross-exam or direct, if you just forget where you're going, not sure your next question, not sure what you're gonna say next, you just pause very confidently, you step over to council table, you grab your water, you take a little sip, all the while thinking about what you're gonna say, you look at your notes, your outline, and then you get right back to it. Great trick, works for me all the time. So I'm not nervous because I know I've got my outline ready. I know I can take my water break. So if things aren't going as planned, that's my, my safety cord, my, my parachute that I pull if I'm nervous. And that makes me relax a little bit. You don't have to be on, you don't have to have things memorized, you don't have to know it all. So practice your speaking, that helps. Talk to people. Um, if you're with your family or friends or whoever it may be, talk about your case. Let them know that you're preparing for it. Run stuff by them. See what they say. Just practice talking out loud. It really helps. And I encourage that you do it. The other thing is be yourself. When you're preparing for an opening and you're preparing for trial, don't try and um, present yourself uh, thinking you want to say, I want to do it like how Andrew Smiley is presented. Because I'm me and I present it the way I present. You're you and you have to present it the way you do. And if you come across differently or, or appear nervous or quietly or not as interactively, not moving your hands or doing things like that, that's okay. The key is, and, it, and, I've, and I state this all the time because it is so true, is just be yourself. You want the jury to get a sense that you're being honest with them throughout the trial. It starts at opening statement. You want to establish credibility. And the best way to do that is just to be genuine and be yourself. And then they'll start to get to know you through the trial. They'll hear what you have to say in your opening statements. They'll see how you handle yourself and conduct yourself, question witnesses. And by gaining that credibility from the jury, they're going to buy your arguments more. They're going to believe in you, okay? So it's all part of the package. So let's talk about preparing, how to actually prepare the opening statement. Well, in a lot of my big, big cases, I'm thinking about my opening statement right off the bat. 
I'm thinking about it after I'm questioning witnesses. I just had a deposition yesterday in a medical malpractice wrongful death case where I've been questioning lots of doctors from a hospital. And every little bit I'm getting from this, I'm thinking about how am I going to lay this out in my opening? How am I going to address these issues that this, this theme I'm seeing developing amongst how they're handling these questions on this topic? And you always start thinking about it. You start thinking about your witnesses, your witness list, and your opening statement. But let's say you have or haven't, and the time's come, and you got to get ready. You don't want to do it the morning of. You don't want to do it just the night before. You want to give yourself some time. And the first thing I recommend you do is find someplace quiet, okay? Get away. If you're in your office and the phones are ringing, if you're at home and the kids are there, or whatever it may be, find a space that's quiet, okay? It could be a space in your home. It could be a library. It could be a coffee shop where you tune everyone out. Whatever it is, get away from distractions. Turn off your phone. Sit down someplace quiet with your notes. Now, if you've made notes throughout the case or you want to start doing a little bit of homework to prepare for your opening, you're going to look at photographs. You'll look at deposition transcripts. You'll start making some notes of the things that you feel are important for your case. What are the elements of your case? Take some time to think about that. Take some time to look at the pattern jury instructions to see what words are used when the judge gives the charge at the beginning and at the end of the case. So you can start incorporating those words right off the bat in your opening statement. Um, start preparing to prepare for your opening. So you have your file with you. You have all the transcripts. You have all any notes you've made. Um, you have all the evidence, the reports, the documents, photos. And then you sit down. And then what I like to do is I like to go freestyle and write things out, just as if I'm writing my opening statement. I give it a shot, like, hey, let's see if I can write an opening. What would I want to say? And how would I say? And I just start writing. And for me, I use a legal pad. And you may have looked at the materials already. And if not, I'm going to share with you uh, before the end of the presentation today um, notes that I've written out for my opening statement. But I like to use a legal pad, and I like to write by hand. I take a black pen and I just start writing. And um, I use a red pen and I do different things. I do boxes and squares and arrows and I cross out. And it's a process that I go through. Just let it all out, things that you think are good, okay? Um, if you like to type or wanna do it on a laptop or a computer or however, you need to do what works for you. I'm sharing what works for me and, and it doesn't have to be my way at all. Uh, if that's not how your mind processes. But whatever you do, just do a free flow session. Sit down and start writing things out, okay? That's for starters. Then what you want to do is think about a theme. Is there a theme in this case? Themes are really good if you can find one that may stay throughout the case. And I'll give you an idea of one. Um, I know from speaking with many of you that you've seen my CLEs where I've talked about a subway accident case where my client fell onto the subway tracks and was run over uh, by a train and lost his leg. He was intoxicated at the time. Uh, it was a tough case. And I came up with a theme of if you see something, do something. And the way I came up with that was taking the subway to work every day. I saw these signs in the New York City uh, transit system that were saying, if you see something, say something. And it was a whole big thing about if you see bags left or, you know, uh, weird things happening, go talk to a transit person or a police and tell them. 
So my theme for that case was see something, do something, because in my deposition, I got out from the train operator that he saw something on the tracks, thought it was garbage, didn't know what it was, when in fact it was my client. Um, and he had a chance to do something, to put on the brakes, to slow down, and he didn't until it was too late. So throughout that, it was, if you see something, do something. And I bring that theme out right off the bat in opening statement, and I brought it throughout my questioning and in summation. And if you can find a theme and be creative, workshop it with family members, colleagues, friends, me, um, that's always nice because then you can bring it right out and start off the opening statement with it. Um, it could be simple. If it's an auto accident case, uh, you can say, this is a case about driver inattention. Okay. So think about a theme. Not all cases lend themselves to it, but if you can come up with one, it's a great method. It'll help you. It'll help the jury to sort of follow along where you're going and you can carry it through questions or cross-examination. If I'm questioning their subway expert, I'll say, you'd agree, right? If the operator sees something, he or she has to do something, right? So there's ways to carry it through. So think about a theme. And then what you'll do is you, you, you set forth an outline. And uh, I'm going to give you the steps of the outline in a moment, but it always should always start off the same. My opening statement, if you were to look back at every trial I've had, I've had a good amount, and all of my opening statement transcripts, they will all start the exact same way. When the judge indicates they're ready for the plaintiff to present an opening statement, I get up, I make sure I'm buttoned up, I look at the judge, I say, thank you, your honor. Um, uh, judge Sampson, counsel, I turn to my adversary, um, and members of the jury, and I look at the jury. Good morning. Uh, my name is Andrew Smiley, and I represent the plaintiff, Oscar Amador. Always, always, always start the case by standing up, may it please the court. You've all heard that phrase. I think it's a topic of some books on arguing before the Supreme Court. Um, but may it please the court, you address the judge, you look at your adversary, you turn to the jury, members of the jury. You're sort of saying, welcome to the show, folks, members of the jury. My name's Andrew Smiley, and it's all right if they know your name from jury selection, you're saying it again. And I represent plaintiff. And then you point to, uh, you put, I do the handout to my client, and I have my client prepared to sort of give the nod, sort of sit up a little bit or look and smile at the jury, okay? And by doing that same intro, every single opening statement, I know I'm going to get off to a good start. I know that, I know what I'm going to say. I know I'm unlikely to fumble it. I know it'll get me started. I'll, I'll be going and off and running, okay? And it's a nice, good, appropriate, professional way to start. So you're not worried, how should I start my opening? What should I say? So do your introduction first. Would may please the court and who you are and introduce your client, whether you're a plaintiff or a defendant, okay? Then if you have a theme, you go right to your theme. So in the example I gave, I do the may please the court, members of the jury, my client is Dustin Dibble. That was his name in that trial. And I turn to the jury and I say, if you see something, do something. They look at me like, what the hell is he saying? And then I say it again. If you see something, do something. That's what this case is about, members of the jury. If you see something, do something. You will learn that, and then you get into it. You give an overview of the case, and that you'll learn that my client on this date was struck and the, the operator failed to do anything. They didn't do something, and they should have. So 
Then you go through your outline and you start writing this out. You start preparing it. So if you want to write this down, um, you can do this now. Um, and I, let's see if I can, I'm not going to share my screen, take your time away, but I'm going to go through my outline with you now. Uh, and you can write this down and I can always uh, post this before the end. But um, it's basically a nine point outline that I recommend everybody use uh, to help them if they're trying to figure out how to sketch out an opening statement. Okay. The first point, point one is your introduction. That's the may please the court. Second point is your theme. Have something, you know, even if it's this is a case about a defendant who failed to maintain a safe premises, you know, whatever it is, come up with something. And also that'll help you in your flow. So you do your introduction, may please the court, then your theme. Then you get into, you will learn that. Now, people always ask me, and I'm sure I'll get that question today. Well, can you really say that? I thought you're not supposed to say things that could be considered evidence and you'll draw an objection. In your opening statement, as long as you preface it with, you will learn that, or we expect the evidence to show that, or we intend to prove that. You just have to have that little preamble. So instead of getting up and saying, the driver was totally at fault for blowing the stop sign, uh, you say, we intend to establish that the driver was totally at fault for blowing the stop sign. All right. And if you get an objection, an opening statement, keep your cool, turn to them. Judge will say sustained or whatever, the judge are overruled, and just look back at the jury, say, we will prove that, and then say it again. Okay. Keep your cool, have that preamble. So then you'll say, you will learn that my client, Dustin Dibble, is 28 years old. And on the night of this accident, and then I get into, I call part three, the client background. And you're going to talk a little bit about your client, whether it's a plaintiff or a defendant. This is the time when you humanize your client, which is important to do throughout a jury for the plaintiff and defense. Humanize your client. Then after you give about the, the events, uh, the background rather, of your client, then you talk about the events leading up to the accident. So after I talked a little bit about Dustin Dibble and who he was, I say, and on the night of January 15th, you'll learn that he was out with friends watching a hockey game. And yeah, they were drinking, but he thought the safest way to get home would not be to drive or and he couldn't afford a car service. So he did what all New Yorkers do, he took a subway. And then you get all the way up to, and he was standing on the platform. And that's the last thing he remembers before waking up in the hospital. Then the next point, point five is the accident, okay? You will learn what happened was, then you get into the accident, okay? And what happened in your case? The next point in the opening, and again, this is the plaintiff, but if you're the defense, you can use this and just gear it towards the defense case. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Then after you talk about the accident, if it is a bifurcated trial, okay, which means the trial is bifurcated, split in two, you rarely hear that term except talking about a bifurcated trial, but uh, which means liability is tried separate. You get a jury, an opening, the whole trial, uh, a verdict just on liability. If there is a finding of any liability, then it's a whole nother trial on damages. If it is a bifurcated trial and it's liability only, you end with your section on but for the negligence of the defendant, which we intend to prove to you. And then you wrap up your opening statement, okay? If it is a unified trial, liability and damages all together, then you say it never should have happened but for the negligence of the defendant, okay? 
And then you prove why the defendant is liable. And then you talk about that never should have happened. My client never should have lost his life. And you will learn what happened as a result of this negligence uh, from the defendant. You will learn that the ambulance showed up and then you get into your damages, all right? So it, it's the accident is 0.5 of your outline. 0.6 is it never should have happened but for the negligence of the defendant. And if you're defending the case, you could say, yeah, it never should have happened. It never should have happened but for the negligence of the plaintiff, okay? Then the next part, part seven is your, your the person on the other side of the V is responsible for the accident. So I'm always saying the defendant is liable and I talk about why. Then I'll either enter transition to damages, which would be point eight. And then point nine in my outline is always wrapping it up, okay? Finishing and finishing strong. And basically you're gonna say your theme, you're gonna look at the jury, you're gonna make eye contact, you're gonna pause, you're gonna thank them on behalf of yourself and your client in advance for the attention you know they're going to be giving to this trial. And then you say, thank you. And then you go sit down. Okay. We're going to talk about that in presentation a little bit, but you never want to just finish it and sort of say, thanks and, and, and walk off and go sit down. Start strong, finish strong in openings and summations whenever you're engaging directly to a jury. Okay. Now, once you've prepared this outline and you have these blocks, what I like to do is practice them. And it's a method that I've used. I learned from my dad. Hey, dad, I think uh, you're out there uh, in the audience as well today. I've learned 99.9% uh, .9 of all this stuff from my father. I was very fortunate. He's the original mentor. And, um, and, it's, and it's proven tried and true through his career as well as mine, is building blocks. So if I have an intro that I'm happy with, uh, if I have a theme I'm happy with, I'll start off, I'll get up before trial, walking around my apartment in my house or outside or in my car in the shower. May it please the court, I represent. And I go through members of the jury. This is a case about it and I do my theme. And then once I feel comfortable saying that without having to look at my outline, I start talking about my client's background. And then I add that on. And then I've got my intro, my theme, my client's background and I feel comfortable talking about it. I know it all. Then I get to the events leading up, the up to the accident. And I start talking it out loud. I practice it. And it doesn't have to be exact. You're not supposed to have something typed out and be able to verbatim read it or regurgitate it. That's not the idea. It's just to trigger in your mind the things you already know. You just need to talk about it and you need that trigger. So the free, the free flow writing it out or typing it out in these sections of this outline um, allows you to really think about it all and think about what you want to say. Then practicing it with the building blocks and by the time you do that enough, you're going to be ready to rock and roll when it comes time to getting up and delivering your opening statement. And if you miss something or you forget or you, you, you bumble or you draw a blank, you've got your outline ready to go right nearby. You take your sip of water, you look at it, and you jump right back in. That's the proper way to prepare for your opening statement. If you're joining us today via podcast, the first attendance verification code is POD212. Again, that's POD212. Andrew, back to you, my friend. Great. Now, did you all notice if you're watching those sponsors' videos, um, 
I'm very close with Mark Horowitz uh, from Lexitas as well as Ross Maller from PM Legal. So it's okay if I pick on them a little bit. But did you notice how Mark was reading his whole presentation and it wasn't as engaging? It's fine if he thought maybe there would be a lot of stuff showing up in slides, but he was reading it. And then did you notice how Ross, um, he may have had something to look at, like an outline, he was looking off a little bit, but he was a little more engaged, right? He was looking more at the camera. Um, and that's what I'm talking about. You, if someone gets up to present an opening statement and they're looking down or they're reading something, you're just, you're gonna lose the jury. They're gonna, they're gonna tune you out. You need to practice engaging. And if you go through the preparation process that I've discussed or your own process, um, properly, you've taken the time to prepare, then what happens is, what I've realized is when I get up there and I'm giving my opening statement or my summation, which is going to be like an opening statement on steroids, we'll talk about that uh, maybe after this, but um, I'm actually visualizing my outline. I'm visualizing that yellow pad with my black markings and my red circles and arrows in my head. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking it, but I'm knowing where I'm going on the outline because I've done it. I've written, I've marked it, I've discussed it in my head and with whoever I practiced it with. So it's really, I can't stress enough the importance of engaging. Now, when you get up and it's time to deliver, let's talk about presentation a little. I get many questions about opening statements about how long should it be? I believe there's a school of thought out there that your opening should be short. You're not allowed to talk about evidence. Just get up there and briefly touch on things and then sit down. Um, I disagree with that school of thought. Um, I've learned from my father that what you want to do is take advantage and use as much time as you need or want to lay out your case. Because sometimes what you say in opening, it's true, it is an evidence, but a juror is going to hear it. And if I say, and I intend to prove to you that, he, you know, he didn't have that much to drink or whatever I want to say, okay, so maybe it doesn't come out through a witness. But when it's time for deliberations, maybe someone in the jury is like, wait, he didn't have that much to drink. Um, whatever it may be, you want to lay it out in opening. It's your chance to sort of give the juror, jury a teaser on what you want them to think about. And take the time. In a unified trial that's not bifurcated, I'll often have a 10 or 11 page uh, legal pad opening that I'm sketching out, and I'll take a half an hour to deliver an opening. It'll be thorough. It'll spell things out. The jury will know everything that I want them to know about the case. It previews what they're going to hear from the witnesses. If I deliver it properly uh, and effectively, it's not too long or too boring. <laughs> and then what happens is when I finish my adversary, nine times out of 10, gets up and says, well, Mr. Smiley those gave a very eloquent uh, opening statement, members of the jury, but you'll learn none of that's evidence. And uh, you haven't heard any of the evidence, right? We talked about that in jury selection. And, um, you know, we strongly disagree with Mr. Smiley and our witnesses will show that and we intend to show that. We don't have to, uh, but we may call witnesses, and uh, and so we ask you to pay attention and know that just because uh, you heard it from Mr. Smiley now doesn't mean it's 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 really evidence, or you're even going to hear it at the time of the case. Uh, and thank you so much. Um, I hear that a lot, and it's a blown opportunity by defense counsel. It is an absolute blown opportunity where I've taken advantage of the stage. 
I've made my point, I've laid out the case, and my adversary utterly fails to do so and um, loses the opportunity. If you are a defense attorney, you need to humanize your client. You need to humanize uh, in any way you can if you have a corporate defendant and talk about them. You need to show that we're not the big bad defendant here. You know, we're people, uh, they're people behind the company. They're, they're people who are individual defendants too. And you need to hear their story. In the Subway case, it would have been great if my adversary got up and said, you'll learn about, and he probably did. He was an excellent adversary. I had in that case. So maybe in this case he did. You know, you'll learn that a subway operator, what it takes to become one and how hard it is and, and the work that goes into it and what it's like to be in a tunnel all day long and it's pitch black. And as much as Mr. Smiley wants you to think that, you know, this one moment in time should have been so clear, it's not like that. And you'll hear what it's like. So the defense needs to bring it also equally, equally. And the good defense lawyers know that and they do that. I'll just tell a real funny little story about setting the stage with a strong presentation. I like to be very demonstrative. Um, and in cases I've handled where um, I can demonstrate things, I do so. I like it. And I had a case, I think I've mentioned it, it was in federal court, product liability case. My client was from Germany, a personal trainer in for an international personal training conference. He's working out in the Hilton on an exercise ball and he's doing uh, bench presses with dumbbells with his back on a burst resistant exercise ball. Of course, the ball bursts and he falls down and the weights go back and it breaks both of his wrists. And so in my opening statement, I'm demonstrating this as best as I can. I'm arching my back, I'm turning sideways, I'm holding up the weights. I want the jurors to get an idea exactly what's going on here and I have a great way to picture it. I gave a really strong opening statement, which I pride myself on doing. And um, the case went in well. We ended up settling the case while the, I think while either the jury was deliberating or right before summations. But I'm on vacation like six months later. And I happened to run into the, the president of the company that made this product, who was at the trial, who was the defendant, basically. <laughs> and it was kind of awkward, right? But I see the person. I said, oh, hello. Um, sort of weird to see you here, but nice to see you. Uh, she was with her daughter. So she turns to me and she says, you know, I got to tell you something funny. Uh, we're sitting in the courtroom and the trial was starting and you gave your opening statement. And at the end of your opening statement, my daughter is watching when he leans over to me. And she goes, mom, you guys are in big trouble here. <laughs> so, you know, it's a fun it's a fun anecdote. But the point is, is that the point is, is that if you start off strong that way, your adversary is going to know I'm going to have my hands full. The judge is going to know this lawyer knows what they're doing. The jurors are going to say, this lawyer is good. We're going to pay attention. Okay. So that's the importance. I just saw a note about the, uh, the outline I went through. I'll make sure to screen share it uh, in the, in the Q&A at the end. So you'll get it. If not, uh, I'll give it to Michelle and she can send it around to everybody uh, on, the, on the seminar. So let's talk about presentation. Okay. Now, put on your nice clothes, dress nicely, but not flamboyantly flamboyantly. Uh, for women, I don't like too much jewelry showing. Um, and for men, make sure your shirt's buttoned in, your tie's up, you're, you know, you're, you're ready to go. I take my wallet out of my pockets. I take change out of my pockets. I make sure my counsel table is neat and organized. Everything's nicely in its place and my pad out and my files where they need to be. 
nice and clean and organized, okay, you are presenting for your client and the jurors look at that. Think about how many times you're at a CLE like this in person or you're in a classroom setting or you think back to being in that setting. Half the time you're looking around, you're a little bored. You're saying, oh, check out Mr. Smiley's uh, you know, clothes he's wearing. You're looking at my pocket hanky. You're looking at my bald head. I don't know, but people are looking, okay? And they're going to be looking at your counsel table and they're going to be like, look at that guy. He's got his shirt hanging out of his pants. He didn't even tie his shoes. Uh, the papers are all over the place. This guy's a mess, okay? Or this gal's a mess. Um, that carries over. It really does. So make sure you're neat, your table's neat and organized. Take things out of your pocket, put it in your bag or your briefcase or put it away. Turn off your phone, put your phone in your bag. Okay, you don't want to be in the middle of an opening statement with something vibrating or ringing or dinging. Um, I'm not a fan of having a pen in your hands. Leave the pens out because then it's distracting if you're moving your hands or you have a pen in your hand. Okay, don't hold your pad or your outline in your hand. Don't hold anything in your hand. Okay, keep your outline either on your table, keep it at the uh, podium if there's one to the side. Uh, there's a ledge by the jury box. Keep it there so you can get to it if you need to it, but it's not a distraction. No distractions. When you get up to present, you're going to want to make eye contact with the jurors when you're speaking. Uh, and there's a way to do that without making them feel awkward. Make sure you leave enough space. Don't get too close to the jury box whenever you're presenting a case, okay? Whether it's opening or in cross or on summation, you don't want to invade someone's space by getting so close up to them that you know, you're right there. But you're gonna to wanna to scan the jurors, make sure you, you look at everyone when you're talking, literally scan the jury box as you're talking. You may wanna pause, make eye contact with one juror for a brief moment, maybe give a nod while you're speaking, maybe move on to the next. Don't hold eye contact too long with any one person, okay? But make sure they're seeing you, they're hearing you, okay? That's how you communicate, not by looking down and reading, right? It's by being engaged. You want the jurors to hear what you're saying, and that's the best way to do it. Oftentimes, when you show up in a courtroom, there's a podium there. What do you do? Does that mean you have to use the podium? Is that just for examining your witnesses? Is it for opening statement? You don't know what to do. You feel awkward. Don't ask. If I see a podium before a trial starts, I always ask the judge, your honor, see there's a podium. Does your honor have a preference on whether we use it or don't use it during openings and, and summations or in our examinations? Some judges will say, you can use it if you want. If not, you can move it out of the way. Some will say, for all witnesses, I want you to be at that podium, uh, but you don't need to be for openings. Some say, uh, you know, you don't need it at all or you need it always, but ask, okay? And if you have the opportunity that you don't need to be stuck at the podium for an opening statement, then don't, okay? You can leave it to the side. You can put your outline on it, but then step away from it. The area in front of the jury box is called the well. And you wanna be in the well when you are engaged with the jury. You want them to hear what you have to say. So you're gonna leave your notes off to the side. You'll move the podium out of the way and get into the well. Okay, you can walk a little bit. You can move side to side. You don't need to be static. You can use your hands. As you see, I love to use my hands. It's just how I talk. It's okay. Um, if you don't, 
and you want to keep your hands clasped behind you, in front of you, that's fine. Again, do what feels right uh, for you. That's going to make you most comfortable when presenting your case. All right. And you may want to change your inflections. So when it's something really important, and you're going to learn that while he was in the middle of doing this, boom, this ball burst and he crashed to the ground and his wrist flew back and he was in extreme pain. And then you bring it down a notch and you say, can you imagine how that felt? Next thing he knows, people are running to his aid. An ambulance is showing up. So practice that, okay? Practice making clapping sounds or increasing your volume or decreasing it. Again, these are all techniques to keep a jury, a juror or jury engaged in what you have to say. And um, that stuff's going to stick out with them. If by the time I was done with my summation, I'm doing the bang, I'm doing the ball bursting, I'm demonstrating things, the jurors already have it in their head. They've seen it. Uh, so that when my client's explaining it or our experts are on the stand, they've gotten all that preview already, and, and it's really effective. So change your inflection uh, when you do that. Now, the other thing that I want to touch on in opening statements is that every case, every case, has strengths and weaknesses on both sides. Opening statements are a great opportunity to address your strengths and your weaknesses and to give the jurors a highlight if you want to give them a little preview of something you think is good in your case or something to look out for. And I'm going to show you an example of that. I've been talking about in my prior uh, CLEs on jury selection and in my How to Litigate a Personal Injury series earlier this year about uh, my trial right before the pandemic uh, where I represented Oscar Amador, who's a motorcyclist who was in a collision with a, with a vehicle, an Audi sedan, and he had bad injuries of his leg. It was a bifurcated liability-only trial. And I knew from all the depositions that there was a change in stories between the driver and her husband. He gave up something that she said to him on the phone. She denied saying it. It was really interesting. And so what I did is I purposely in my opening said to the jury, said, and when you're sizing up this case, I want you to size up my client. It's your job to size everybody up, see who's credible, whose versions are credible, whose aren't. And I just want to give you a little heads up. When I ask the driver of, of the, the defendant driver, and I mentioned their names, uh, about what she said about this, and I ask her husband what he says she said, pay very close attention to their answers. Pay very close attention because I, I expect that uh, you will be surprised and you may question the credibility of what they have to say. So just be on the lookout for that. So that's fun to do. And if it's a weakness, bring it out. Don't wait for your adversary to bring it out, okay? If you know your client was convicted of a felony and you have a construction accident case, a good one, and uh, your client's a laborer who was uh, in prison beforehand but was able to get a job in construction, as many laborers can as an as a ex-con, um, and it's going to come in because the defense has talked about it at mediation and said, oh, yeah, you know, we don't think a juror is going to want to give an ex-con. We're like, yeah, whatever. Bring it out in your opening. Say, members, you're, you're going to learn something in the background of my client. You're going to learn that he was in prison, okay? And you can say it however you want. And then you'll say, and 
You know, if the defense decides to go down that road, ask yourselves, what does that have to do with anything? You know, he got out, he did his time, he got a job, he was working hard when as a result of this lack of safety protection, um, you know, this ceiling uh, that was collapsing, he wasn't protected from, and he sustained serious injuries. That has nothing to do with, with anything else. Don't take your eye off the ball here. So take your weaknesses, bring it out. You bring out any weaknesses and then manage it. Figure out, workshop how you're going to bring it. It could be bad, but if it's coming out, better it come out from you, okay? And if you have a strength, bring that out too. So make sure you touch on your strengths and your weaknesses. Now, with the last bit of time I have left in this hour, I'm going to share my screen with you and I'm going to show you my outline for the Oscar Amador motorcycle car trial. Uh, just to give you some insight, it's like what I did with jury selection, and I'm going to do it again now uh, with opening. Okay, um, hopefully you see it. Uh, Michelle, let me know if you do not, but I have it up on my screen now. Okay, and this is in the materials. Uh, right above it, I have a nice, um, it's not highlighted, but you'll see on the PDF page, uh, starts at page 14, I believe. Um, it's worth reading. It talks about a lot of what I'm talking about in the CLE. So it's good to have as a reference book before you're preparing your opening statements. You might want to take a read through this, okay? Now, starting at PDF page 17 on my screen, I'm showing this was my outline that I brought to trial with me that I had a council table or to the side. And look what I have right off the bat. May it please the court, dot, dot, dot. I am, I represent P. That's me putting it down, knowing this is what I'm going to say. And I saw one of the comments uh, or one of the questions, someone said, do you really have to do the may please the court? Why take up the time doing that? Why don't you just get right to it? That's my style. You don't have to do anything, okay? Uh, if you want to get right to it, get right to it if you think it's better. Again, I feel it gives me structure. It gives me stability in starting off a trial by having that. Um, then I go to my theme. I didn't have a great theme. So I have, this is a case where you'll learn that the defendant, Carol Lynch, fail to use reasonable care and fail to pay attention while driving in her car on a September Saturday in 2017. And there's a reason I chose the words reasonable care because that's in the jury charges. And I want them to start hearing failure to use reasonable care, okay? Then I go to my next block. As a result of her failure to use reasonable care and pay attention, she struck. And see, I have the plaintiff, and then I crossed it. I said, no, let me say Oscar. Let me personalize it. She struck Oscar while he was riding on his motorcycle, knocking him to the ground. And then I originally put, and causing him to be seriously injured. But that sounds kind of bland. So I said, no, scratch that. To the ground and propelling him into a forward skid. This was the red note. Forward skid while his leg was trapped beneath the motorcycle. And the motorcycle landed on top of him and skidded. Okay, so this is my process. I'm crossing things out. I'm looking at it. I'm thinking of stronger ways to stay, say things. So I go back through the red pen. And then I get into what they're going to hear. And you're going to hear from Oscar. And I personalize it. He's a 60-year-old man. He's originally from Chile. It was his birthday yesterday. I make a note over here. Again, I'm trying to personalize it. He's a U.S. citizen. Because you don't know, maybe your jurors have an issue. They think he's a... Uh, He's milking the system and he's a, an illegal immigrant, okay? And you want to put it out there that he's not. And uh, for the last 20 years, he's worked here in Queens and he's been a handyman in an apartment complex, okay? So you start personalizing him. 
I know a lot of people in New York City live in buildings and they've got their superintendents and everybody likes their supers because they help them out and take care of them, okay? And I talk about how 19 years ago, he got his prized possession, a Harley Davidson Dyna Superglide, okay? For all you motorcycle riders out there, you probably know what that is. But I'm bringing out the point that this is his prized possession. He doesn't go out there like a young punk and hot ride and cut people off. He was out there. And he only takes it to charity events I talk about. And he testified at his deposition that he was actually on his way to one of these charity events to raise money for autism, that all he and his fellow Harley riders were riding to this park. So I talk about this beautiful day. You're going to learn about the day of the accident. And he was going to Alley Pond Park in Queens uh, to raise money for autistic children, bringing his prized possession. And he had to get there. And I talk about the direction to get onto the Grand Central Parkway in the route, and I lead him right up to the happening of the accident. Then I get into the evidence. You will learn that while he was traveling on Little Neck Parkway, as he approached, he briefly stopped. Then he made his turn, and he turned left on the service road to get onto the Grand Central Parkway. You'll learn, he'll tell you, you'll hear from Oscar. He wasn't speeding, he was going about 20 miles an hour. He's looking ahead, taking it easy. It's a beautiful day. And out of nowhere, he feels this hit in the back. And he feels it twice and it knocks him down. Next thing he knows, he's on the ground, struck from behind, sliding with this huge motorcycle on top of him and finally comes to a stop. And when he does, he looks back to see what in the world just happened. And what does he see? He sees the defendant. He sees a black Audi sedan. You'll learn that it was the defendant. Carol Lynch was driving this black Audi sedan at the time and it was owned by her husband, Philip Lynch, okay? And I talk about that and I say the evidence will show again. This is the preview. Here's what you're gonna learn. She was 100% responsible. And I wrote in 100% there because this was a case where we agreed to a cap to a top number. And if the jury found it was all our guys' fault, we'd get nothing. If they found it was 100% fault, we'd get the whole number. Or if it was 50-50, we'd get whatever percentage that we could prove. So right off the bat, 100% at fault. She failed to use reasonable care. We'll prove to you, and the evidence will show she was driving too fast. She was failed to pay attention, failed to see what was there to be seen, which is another charge a jury is going to get, that phrase. And Oscar, he did nothing wrong. He did absolutely nothing wrong, okay? Um, and then I talk uh, down here. These are additional notes that I throw in um, before I get to this part where I finish and I say, you know, I'm confident, you pay attention, you will conclude that she was 100% at fault, she failed to use reasonable care, and she was the sole cause of this accident. Thank you. And then I go and I sit down, okay? Now, obviously, I had some additional notes after this. Sorry, Michelle, give me two more minutes. I want my two minutes. And uh, I talk about that um, uh, here. The evidence will show that she's changed her story, okay? That's what the evidence is going to show. And keep an eye out for that. Listen to what her husband says she told him from the scene. Listen to what she says she told him from the scene. You're going to hear from an accident reconstructionist and who scientifically is going to explain to you what happened. Okay? And then I end it. So by the time I'm done with writing all this out, doing these points, practicing it, thinking what's important, when I'm getting up, I'm actually seeing my red pen marks. And I'm remembering that I added, ah, oh, skidded and slid and I'm delivering it, and I've got it all there. And if I draw a blank, I take a sip of water, I take a look at it, and I deliver it. So 
Hopefully you got something out of this uh, hour talking about opening statements. I'm going to let Michelle read the last code. Then we'll go into the next half hour and do specific Q&As on this. So I hope you'll stay with me. So now let me get through some Q&As here, um, trying to address everything. Uh, thank you, uh, Sophia, for asking me to do a seminar, a webinar on public speaking. Michelle, uh, feel it out if there's a lot of interest. Uh, in addition to that, more than happy, we can set that up to happen uh, within the next month or so. Um, what do I think? The question is, generally, there aren't objections in openings, but you'll find you try enough cases, you will have adversaries that just like to object to everything, whether it's to throw you off. Sometimes I'll be in the middle of giving a great opening statement, and I think my adversary realizes that um, I'm doing a really good job, and just to throw me off, they may object to something. So um, what I would consider to be patently improper is the question. What would I consider or out of the bounds of opening statement? Um, Certainly, if it's a liability trial only, you don't want to talk about specific damages or injuries. That would be improper. You don't want to talk about burdens of proof and the law. That's for the judge. So those things you really want to stay away from. You don't want to get crazy with your argument. You want to make sure you preface everything as far as what the evidence will show. And then I think you'll be okay. And then someone said, well, then what do I do? One of the questions says, if my adversary does interfere with my opening by objecting. I try to make it look like I don't even hear it. I just sort of pause. I still look at the jury. I don't turn it around. I don't say, what the, what the what, you know? I stay there. I'm still in front of the jury. I let the judge make the ruling, which is usually overruled. Uh, and then I just continue on. You just try and don't let it phase you or throw you off your game. And if there is an objection, then just restate what you just said and preface it with the evidence will show. We intend to prove. And then just continue on like it ain't nothing but a thing, okay? Um, does my approach change if it's a bench trial? So if you're not trying a case in front of a jury, um, I would do the same exact thing. I, I love it. Uh, my bench trials are usually only if it's a court of claims case and they don't always let you give an opening. They're like, yeah, Mr. Smiley, save it for the jury. But if I have a chance, uh, if I can give an opening to a, a judge on a bench trial, uh, I would do so absolutely. And I encourage you to do so again. Let the judge hear, you know, everything you're planning on putting in, even if it doesn't come out, give the judge a heads up. Definitely want to give an opening if you can, okay? Um, let's see. Have I experienced waiving opening statements? Um, I haven't experienced it. Maybe once I had a defense counsel waive it, um, and practically defense counsel waive opening statements a lot because they get up and they do this sort of the my cousin Vinny Everything that guy said is bullshit. Thank you. And they sit down, you know, I mean, they don't actually say that, but in so many words, as I talked about before, um, it's a waste. It's a waiver, a golden opportunity. So I don't have experience with it. I would never waive an opening statement. And I encourage you, if you have an opportunity, no matter what the case, what, what side of the V you're on, who you're representing, if you can open, open and don't be lazy, prepare and deliver it. Um, Summary jury trials, uh, there's a question about opening for that. I have not handled a summary jury trial. My understanding is those are usually cases with limited policies. There's an agreement to have a one-day trial with no experts and uh, just the, the parties, and uh, it's fast. So um, if I did have a summary jury trial, I would probably try and narrow it down and not use up more time than I really need to and just hit on the high points. That's how I would handle that. Uh, can I provide a sample of my outline for damages? 
uh, I will take a look. Uh, and if I have a sample outline on my damages case, which I can probably dig up, uh, whoever asked that question, I, uh, Mr. Smith, uh, if you can shoot me an email, uh, that would be helpful. Then I can uh, then go try and dig something up. Happy to share it with you. Damages is tough. We'll talk about that when we get to uh, summations. Tough to ask a jury for money. It really is. And you have to be careful with how you do it. Um, but um, setting it up with the proper opening is good. And by the way, if you do your opening outline properly and you set it up, then you can actually use that for your summation uh, as a starting point. Basically, what you do is you collect all the evidence, all the testimony, all the exhibits, and your summation is like your opening, but instead of saying you will learn that, you're saying that, and look what we learned. Look at this. Look at this exhibit. Look at this photograph. I've, I've had the testimony blown up from you. This is what we've heard. So it's a, it's a nice way to, if you do it properly and you've really thought through your case, they should be similar in flow. Um, how does the defense counter my dramatics? Um, I find that, um, you know, that uh, they just, they address, like I said, they address their case, they address their position and they do it their way. I had a trial against, um, against a very prominent uh, defense lawyer who has a big firm and his name is on the door. I won't name names, but um, very good lawyer. And, uh, and I said something in my opening statement with, and I don't know what kind of rabbit out of hat Mr. So-and-so uh, plans on doing because he's a skilled trial lawyer. And I don't know what, what, how he's going to plan to take your eye off the ball on this. But, and then he got up in his summation and he's a very soft-spoken, He's the type of guy you'd want to go have a beer with, watch a game with. He can really relate to people. And he said, as to what Mr. Smiley said, I've got no rabbits. I'm not pulling anything out of the hat. I don't disagree with everything he's saying, but you'll see, you know, we do disagree on some things. And, and he just handled it that way. So again, if you're my adversary uh, and I've done one of these big sort of dramatic openings and you're not a big dramatic person, that's great. Sometimes it's the perfect counter. Uh, don't talk about me. Don't talk about what plaintiff's counsel said. Start off with saying, you know, we have a different take on things. Here's what we think the evidence is going to show. Here's who our client is. And here's what we want you to think about. You know, don't be so reactive. Be more proactive. That's my best advice on the defense side. Now, um, using demonstratives or PowerPoint or exhibits in opening statement uh, is a question and a theme that's being asked, I see, about using exhibits. Um, I'm not a big fan of PowerPoint in general. Anytime that you're taken away and using a screen and the jurors focused on that. Um, I'm old school. I learned that uh, how to blow things up on foam core, the classic size of two feet by three feet, 24 by 36 inches. I blow up pictures. I blow up x-rays. I blow up documents. I blow up testimony. Um, it's not as easy and it's more cumbersome than popping things up on a screen, but I like it because then it's there. I don't have to go to a computer if I want to reference it. I can lift it up. I can hold it. It's tangible. And I will use it if I can in an opening. Um, you're not allowed to use something that's not in evidence. So that's the tricky part. Um, you can if it's in evidence. So if you're in a situation where you pre-marked exhibits or you've stipulated items into evidence, um, then you may be able to. I've had cases where I really felt that I needed to use an exhibit that either showed the, the, the product or 
showed a, a depiction, a schematic of the scene of the accident uh, or showed the uh, medical anatomy of, of the injury or the medical malpractice uh, in order to really give the juror a good idea at the outset. And if that's the case, I will work very hard. I'll reach out to my adversary and say, will you stiff to let this in so I can use it? Uh, I'll bring it up to the judge. Uh, say, counsel's not stiffing, but you know, I'd really like to use this. And depending on the judge, some judge may say, no, counsel, evidence, you got to wait for your jurors. You got to put it in through evidence. You don't get to use it in your opening. Some will put some pressure on my adversary. What problem do you have? If it's coming in anyway, uh, I don't have a problem. It's or smiley using it. So think about it. If you want to do it, I wouldn't use too many things. Uh, pick what's really important. And if you think it'll be helpful, try and get it in. You may or may not be able to use it. Okay. Um, does the defense have or the plaintiff, does your adversary have to object to something in your opening statement if they want to use that as a basis for an appeal? They're referencing a criminal matter, a murder trial in Florida. Um, and uh, my understanding uh, is that, yeah, if you're going to want to use something that your adversary said improperly in opening statement as a basis for appeal, you better object. You should assume that Failure to object is a waiver of any, any right to appeal from anything that happens in a trial. So if something seems off or you're concerned about it, if it's opening statement, if it's jury selection, whatever it is, make a record of it. The court reporter is there during trial, so make an objection. If it happened during jury selection uh, and it's of concern to you that maybe the juror pool was tainted by something that was said, uh, then before the trial starts, bring it to the court's attention, ask the judge to get a court reporter that you'd like to make a record of something that happened during jury selection and uh, put it on the record. You can ask the judge to disband the jury and uh, select a new jury. And if they don't, um, then you have your appeal preserved. So definitely trial time, object uh, to anything you think is uh, potential for a basis of appeal. So in an automobile case, the question is, summary judgment on liability has been granted. Um, what type of theme can you put forth that would still blame the defendant? So if you're trying case just on damages where summary judgment on liability has been awarded, um, you can talk about that, okay? You can talk about the fact that you're there to talk about the damages only. What that means is that there's already been a legal determination that the defendants here are at fault, okay? That issue is done. It's been decided, it's not disputed, and uh, the only issue for you members of the jury is causation and the extent of the damages. And then you can tie in a theme. You could say this is a case where the defendant's negligence um, you know, took away uh, the plaintiff's passion for life, and you're going to hear about that. Uh, and that could be your theme. The defendants here took away Mr. Smith's passion for life. That's what happened. And that's what this trial is about, how he lost his passion for life. Okay. So that's how I would handle that one. Um, lots of questions about exhibits, PowerPoints. I address that. Um, can I really say this is a case where the defendant failed to use reasonable care during opening? Absolutely. You can say that. I'm not talking about burden of proof. I'm using phrases in a jury charge uh, that I want to resonate with a jury. So absolutely, in a medical malpractice case, you can say, you're gonna learn this is a case where uh, Dr. So-and-so or the hospital 
departed from good and accepted practice. They departed from the standard of care in their profession. Yes, not only is it permissible, but recommended that you use terms of art, okay? The only thing that's objectionable is talking about burdens of proof, standards in the law, things that are the province of the judge, um, but using phrases contained within charges is perfectly appropriate and should be used. What's my thought on using humor during openings? Um, if you're a funny person, then go for it. I mean, again, that goes with being yourself. If you're a serious type of person, um, I wouldn't use humor. If you're the type that uses humor, if you can use it appropriately and effectively, I think that's great. Um, some people are just naturally funny and the way you handle yourself is fine. Um, I think I'm funny, my wife doesn't, but um, you know, if, if it's appropriate at the time, I'll certainly say something and use a little bit of humor. Uh, I have no problem, especially if it's self-degrading and I've done something or I've messed up or I've misspoken, you know, it happens to all of us. Uh, so I have no problem with it as long as it's appropriate, obviously. You have to be careful. You don't want to ever offend anybody. You always err on the side of caution. You don't know really who your jurors are, what their stories are behind the scenes. So humor is fine as long as you're not, you know, potentially crossing any lines there. Uh, I think it's absolutely appropriate. Um, what I wrote on my legal pad, I'm um, being asked, looks very much like evidence, okay? How do I say that I intend to prove without giving them the opportunity to object? Because I'm not presenting evidence. I'm saying this is what we intend to prove, okay? Um, I, I'm not prompting an objection and an objection is going to get overruled. And finally, the lawyer is going to have to be quiet and, and my adversaries don't look good if they object too much in my openings. As long as you preface it, we intend to prove that. We expect the evidence will show that. Um, you know, as long as you preface it, you are good to go. And that's why don't be scared, folks. Don't be scared and handcuff yourself from bringing things out and opening that can really help you, okay? As we all know, more cases settle during trial than, um, than before the verdict's reached. So, you know, if you get out there and you give a great opening statement and you scare your adversary, okay, on one side or the other, or that, you know, if the defense gives such a great opening that my client turns to me and says, oh man, hearing them say that, that doesn't sound good. Maybe we should settle the case, all right? And I'm hoping that through my opening that the defense attorney is reporting back or the insurance representative is hearing there uh, at the trial, hearing what I have to say and saying, uh-oh, this guy's pretty good. Um, you know, the way he just delivered this, uh, you know, we may want to reassess the case. So don't handcuff yourself. Bring it. Bring it all. Okay? Just prepare properly. Um, all right. Jury consultants. Again, um, I've been asked that question a lot. Um, I've never actually used a jury consultant. I've gotten really close. I had a really tricky case um, that we just weren't sure how a jury would do. It was in a venue that we weren't. It was a federal case outside of my home of New York in, a, in another state. And uh, we really weren't sure how a jury in this county and location would respond to the facts of our case. Um, it's really expensive, it's really time consuming. Um, and um, at the end of the day, every jury panel is gonna be different. So I generally 
can walk to the edge of thinking about it, but end up not doing it. Um, but I know people that have had a lot of success with it and it helps them fine tune their issues and their arguments. So again, you know, given your budget, your time frame, your case, um, that will depend on whether or not it's something you want to try. I think that there's, there's certainly value to be had there to the extent that that value is something you need for your case. Um, that's for you to decide. Um, <laughs> someone's asking if I had the late Joe Crea for towards at uh, Brooklyn Law School. Um, I didn't actually. I knew uh, Professor Crea, sweet, kind, great man. Uh, and I'm glad to see that he also believed in having a theme in the case. So uh, I'm preaching a good gospel here, it looks like. Um, someone's asking if I would prepare my request to charge before preparing my opening. Um, whether it's prepared uh, or I actually just look at the PJI, I definitely look at the PJI, that it stands for the pattern jury instructions. And that's where you get the request to charge, which your judge will ask you for sometimes before you start your trial. So uh, Judge Sampson asked for my request to charge, my verdict sheet, I think, everything in my, and everything uh, before we started the trial. So in the, in the Amador case, so I would have had, a, I would have, you know, gone through all of those jury charges and uh, gotten the language and that helps help me to be even more prepared. So if you have a tough judge who's pushing you to have everything done, it's great because uh, it's forcing you to look at that. So yeah, if you can do your request to charge or at least start them, uh, it's good. But certainly you want to pull out the pattern jury instruction, you know, the, the book itself, the volume, use the indexes, search it online, look at every potential charge that may relate to your case. So you can find those words, those terms of art, okay? Um, all right. Um, someone's indicating that they're very visual. How about using videos for opening statements? Again, I would rather the jurors look at me than look at a video during opening statement. Save your video for the time of trial. But when it's opening statement, you want them to look at you. You want them to listen to what you have to say and be focused on that. That's my recommendation. If you've got a great video for whatever it is that you want to use at trial, use it during the trial. And maybe in summation, you might want to reference it and have it queued up to highlights of it. But um, not in your opening statement would be my recommendation. You're, you're giving uh, the platform that you're granted away uh, and, and, and losing that interaction that's so important in opening statements. Okay. Someone else asking for my outline. I am more than happy to share everything and anything that I have in my archives. Uh, just email me. Yeah, here's my email address behind me. Shoot me an email and I will work on getting you anything uh, that you need that can help you preparing your case, your trial, uh, whatever it may be. So go for it. Um, Again, I addressed using uh, AIDS, demonstrative AIDS in opening. If you can, you can get it in and you think it'll be good, go for it. It's really hard though, it's really hard. Federal court, you may have a better shot at because in federal court, you have to do a full pretrial order with all your requests to charge. Everything's gotta be submitted well before your trial starting. And uh, you're usually having a discussion about exhibits at a pretrial conference, you're marking everything. Uh, so if things that are in evidence already and you're good to go. State court, it's gonna be a lot trickier. Um, someone's asking me, how do I work with uh, the case of Rodriguez versus New York City and reduction of damages, even when you have summary judgment? 
Don't worry about reduction of damages. Don't worry about any of that stuff. That all happens post-trial, uh, not for a jury to worry about anyway. You just bring it, put it all out there, put all your damages out there. Uh, in collateral source hearings after any verdict is entered, uh, that's where you'll deal with that. But jurors don't need to worry about reductions of damages. You just put forth the damages that you feel you're entitled to argue under the law. If you're attending via podcast, the second attendance verification code for today's CLE is POD137. Again, that's POD137. Okay. <laughs> Someone's asking me the bull TV show. How much is that correct about what goes on in jury selection? I've never seen that. Um, I'm generally not a fan of law television shows or law movies because, you know, they're doing these summations, uh, these heavy duty cases that are so dramatic in five minutes for television time. And they're so good, aren't they? Um, I love seeing uh, actors deliver summations and openings. So there are very few shows that I like. The only one that I really like, and I actually have used it in some of my work with uh, trial advocacy with law students and trial teams is my cousin Vinny. Believe it or not, I think that um, in addition to just being an awesome, awesome movie that you can never get sick of watching, um, the trial scenes and the way things are handled as far as objections, uh, forms of questions, um, seems pretty spot on. So if you've never seen My Cousin Vinny, you have to watch it. Uh, that is an order. Um, but uh, if you haven't watched it in a while, it's fun to watch again. So I enjoy that. But otherwise, you know, most shows are just not even close to what really happens. Um, all right, I'm trying to read some of these questions. Uh, someone's saying, can you put off the jury if you don't really have a case? Uh, you know, could you be inviting disaster? Uh, look, opening statements is your take on the case. You're not throwing out Hail Marys. You're not putting that stuff there just hoping that maybe you throw out a phrase here or there that's going to help you. Credibility is the most important part. And if you think something's going to come in, um, but you're not 100% confident, um, you have to weigh risk reward. So, you know, I certainly wouldn't bring something out in opening statement that I'm really not sure how it may play out during the time of trial. Uh, I would only use phrases and words and identify things that I'm reasonably confident will come in. And I, I would never do anything that would burn me. I would never say something that, and you'll learn that only to have my adversary get up uh, and read my opening statement to the jury, have the transcript, because you can get those. If you are not aware of this, you can ask the court reporter for dailies. It costs a lot of money, but it's great. You get transcripts emailed to you each day at the end of the day or the next morning. Um, and uh, it's great to have. Um, so I would never want my adversary to get up and say, I just want to read you something. You remember Mr. Smiley gave his opening statement two weeks ago, and he told you, you're going to hear this, and they're going to prove that. Well, he, he hasn't proven his case. And I'm going to give you some examples. He said, quote, we will prove that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And did you hear that at trial? Did that come in at all? No, you didn't hear that at trial. That's what I do. Uh, if I was my adversary and I failed to, you know, uh, bring the evidence that I said I was going to. And that's what I do with the defense. So they spent their whole opening talking about how you're going to learn that it was all the plaintiff's fault because of X, Y, and Z. I'll read you what they said. We didn't hear any of that at this trial. 
because they don't they don't have a defense to this. Um, so be careful with that. Of course, be careful with what you choose to say. Um, in my opening and in the notes that I went through with you on the Amador case, it's exactly how the case played out. I got a hundred percent liability verdict in that case, and it was because I built it up the right way. When I cross-examined those defendants and I gave the jurors the heads up, I kind of gave them that look, like you know, here it is. And remember, and in summation, I'm saying, you remember an opening when I told you, give you that heads up? Well, you heard it. And I'm going to read to you. I've blown up their testimony. He said this. She said that. Come on. You know, they're, they think they're, they're too smart for you, members of the jury. That's always a great one in summation. You know, they're, they're, it's an insult to your intelligence. I got that phrase from my father as well. Never forget a case in Brooklyn a while back. He threw his pad down. It's an insult to your intelligence, members of the jury. Nothing like getting a jury worked up, uh, thinking that someone's trying to insult them. They don't like that. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to do in a future CLE talking about trial notebooks. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, there's a lot of lectures analyzing my cousin Vinny. That's great. Great to hear that it's there. I'll have to be on the lookout for that. And, um, and I think I covered most of the questions. So uh, we've got a couple minutes left. I'll be happy to let uh, Michelle hop in and do the last code. And um, before we just wrap that up, uh, I want to again remind everyone, if you feel you've gotten any value out of this program, uh, there's lots more to come. Next month, November 3rd, we'll be opening. And then uh, we'll be talking the following month about cross-examination uh, and then summation. It'll be the same process. I'm going to walk you through how I prepare, show you my notes if I can dig them up, how to present, uh, how to do things stylistically, and uh, hope that you will get benefit through it all. Um, today's uh, presentation will go up in about a week on the Academy's website. It'll be free. It'll also show up on the mentoresq.com, the video version, the audio, the materials will be available, and um, by podcast. So if you're driving or taking transportation, like the bus or train, you can just listen to it, and you can also get CLE credit. Uh, I encourage you to listen to the Mentor ESQ podcast if you haven't already. If you're listening to this by way of podcast, thank you. If you like the podcast, please continue to share it uh, with others. I've got some great interviews, some interesting people, uh, and I think you'd enjoy that as well as the CLEs that I do. Um, so thank you, and I look forward to uh, seeing you next time. Andrew, you got any like final wrap-up? Peace out? Yeah, I guess as a final wrap-up, um, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of one-on-one -on -one meetings with all of you. I've been selectively sort of sending out some notices uh, where people can click and have one-on-ones with me. Um, so keep an eye out for those. It's just been awesome. Uh, we're really building a community here. It's one of the side surprise benefits of these strange circumstances we're in in this pandemic world with everybody feeling more comfortable with Zooming that um, you know we can build a community where we can better our profession um, we can speak as adversaries, as colleagues. Uh, we can refer cases to each other. There's plenty of business to go around, things that I handle that someone doesn't, uh, things that I don't handle that someone else would like to. Uh, bouncing ideas off of each other. It's amazing how many lawyers are in our profession that, you know, are, you know we're all individuals behind our firm name and, about, and behind who we represent. And the more we can communicate with each other, the more we help each other, uh, the better our profession gets. So I look forward to hopefully meeting all of you uh, through one of my one-on-ones, so keep an eye out for that. And, um, and then just keep it going. Work hard, prepare, 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 and inform your clients, and be kind to uh, your colleagues and your adversaries, and uh, you're in good shape. Join the Academy. It's just a great organization, and I highly recommend you join it. 
So thank you all. See you next month.